0: You're listening to Westside Church. For more information, visit us at westsideinfo.com. There we go. All right. Hello, everybody. Uh, so wonderful to have us here. Have you here with us? I slowed down a little bit. Um, we finished First Samuel last week. It was quite a ride, a great adventure. I feel like I learned an incredible amount over this last year, and I got to share that with all of you. And so that was really wonderful. But I've had a lot of people start asking, so what are we doing now? I mean, that was a, it's a big thing to follow when I really think about it, because it we haven't done something like that in quite some time. So what are we doing now? Um, what we're going to look at for a little while is at the beginning of this year, we look, started look, took a look at the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is a lot of little snippets from Jesus about these major areas of our life. And it covers a lot of things. And we've woven some of that in as we've gone through. But we want to take some time to really look at what those are and see what Scripture, the entirety of Scripture, has to say on those topics that Jesus brought up to us. And so we'll, we'll take some time on that, some other areas that we just really haven't focused in on in quite a while and then we might come back to going through another book study, perhaps in the late fall or winter season. Um, but for now, as I was going through, looking at this week, reading through the Sermon on the Mount again, I came across a particular passage, and it really just leapt out at me. And a big part of it was from different conversations that I've had probably over oh the last couple of years. Um, and it's about The title for this week is Letting Scripture Lead You and not trying to get Scripture to follow you. Because a lot of times we can take, I've got this thing going on, this is my idea, and I'm pretty sure I'm right, and I just want Scripture to agree with me. And I'm going to go look for something that does that. And when I find that, I'm going to stop and say, good, it agrees with me. As opposed to letting the entirety of Scripture lead you and guide you and tell you, this is what I, as God, have to say in this area. And in order to get a fullness of this, you have to approach all of Scripture. We can't just take this little this little nugget that sounds good and say, that's all I need. The richness of Scripture goes beyond that. And so the passage I was reading through is Matthew 5, and it says this, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, that's a good time scale for us, have heaven and earth passed away? No. So we're not done yet. Not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Now some has been accomplished. Through Jesus' saving work on the cross, atonement has been accomplished for us. Atonement for sins, for involuntary sin, when they had to go and make sacrifices continuously over and over again, that has been accomplished. We don't have to keep going back and redoing what Jesus has already done. If you believe on Jesus Christ as your one and only Lord and Savior, you are redeemed. You have been bought back with an eternal price. You are saved. You don't have to redo that. You don't have to keep going back for that. You just have to keep turning to Jesus within this. That's done. That's accomplished. There are some things that haven't been accomplished yet. If you go to Genesis 49, verse 10, it's a portion of scripture where Jacob is prophesying over his 12 sons that became the 12 tribes of Israel. And in there, he's prophesying over Judah. And he says, the scepter shall not depart from between your feet until all the nations come and bow before you. Now that isn't for the man Judah who he's speaking to. This is for the tribe of Judah, for the lineage of Judah, which is where Jesus comes from. And so what he's saying is that this isn't done yet because not all nations have come and bowed before Jesus yet. That's going to happen when he returns. All will confess Christ as Lord, but it's not done yet. This hasn't passed yet. So we're not going to just say that's all gone and then we're here in the new. No, not all of it's done yet. We don't just get to disregard the law. Jesus himself is the one speaking to us, saying... There's important things here for you to know. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. That's a really heavy statement. It's a big deal. But I want to say something that you might not have caught on. I certainly didn't catch it the first time I read it. This is not an issue of salvation. I'm going to reread something here. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments. We tend to focus in on that. If you're not obeying everything, you've relaxed it and you're teaching others, you're out. One of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven not the least in hell the least in the kingdom of heaven because that's not where your salvation is derived from your actions on this world is not where your salvation is derived from it's derived from your belief in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior the end we don't add anything to that we don't heap things upon that this is a commentary on the life you live on the way there How do you want to meet your Savior? I know how I want to meet my Savior. I want to die someday. I don't really want to die, but I know it's going to happen. I want to die someday, go before Christ, and have him say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. That's what I want to hear. I don't want to enter before God and say, Hey, Joe, try not to screw anything up while you're here. So two possibilities. We can finish well or we can crawl over the finish line. It's a commentary on life. How do you want to make it through it? How are you going to go through your practice process of sanctification? You have already been justified if you believe upon Christ. You are saved. What's next? And we tend to look forward and he goes, some of these things you need to look back because I've already written it down. I already have some things for you to learn from. It's not all passed away. It's got some good things for you to know. Moses comments about this. Moses comments about this to us. What is the reason for looking back? What is the reason for looking at these things? Out of Deuteronomy 4 it says, And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you, and do them, that you may live And go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. First line. There's just so much I can pull out of this first line. And first and foremost is this. The Bible was written for you and not to you. And I can prove it with that line. How many of you that have really stood on that note, the Bible is written directly to me in this day and age, how many of you are gearing up to go into the land of Canaan and wipe out them Canaanites? I don't know a single person that's done that. Because it wasn't written to us. It was written for us. We have to understand there are eternal truths within this that we're supposed to pay attention to. It was written for the Israelites. They were going into the land of Canaan. There's a difference in this for us, though. What's the eternal truth to pull out of this? God has a plan for your life. You're going somewhere. He's sending you out. You have a purpose to accomplish while you're here. And he wants you to follow after him that you may live, that you may have a good and abundant life. When he says, I do not come like the thief to steal, kill, and destroy, I come that you have life and life abundantly, that's what this is talking about. I want you to have an abundant life while you're here fulfilling the purposes that I have for you. You shall not add to the word that I am commanding you nor take from it that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. We don't add anything on to what God has said. We don't add our, I really care a lot about this, so I'm going to just somehow make this work in here. And we don't take out the stuff we don't like. And go, I really, that's hard for me, so I'm just going to put that aside. I'm going to ignore that. I'm going to act like it's not there. We don't get to do either. We have to take Scripture as It is. We don't conform scripture to our life. We allow our life to be conformed to scripture. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor. For Lord your God destroyed from among you all the men who followed the Baal of Peor. But you who held fast to the Lord your God are all alive Today. If you're gonna go chase after other things in your life that are ungodly, other passions, other things that you worship through your obsessions that you chase after in life, and they're not of God, that leads to destruction. Jesus said to us, wide and easy is the path that leads to destruction, but enter by the narrow gate. For it is hard and few find it. Whenever I hear that, that terrifies me. And I would encourage you to be terrified in a good way of that statement. Few find it. The way that leads to life, few find it. There should be an urgency to that phrase that we, as best as we can through the strength that God gives us, need to stretch that word few to as big as we can. So as many people go to meet Christ as we can help introduce to him because few find it. That should be terrifying that that reality is something we face. See, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them. For that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who, when they hear all the statutes, will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? We are called to be different. Because if we are the same as the world, what is there for them to turn to? Why on earth would they follow after God when it's no different than what they're already doing? We're called to be set apart. We're called to show God's light, not just what works, not what just fits, not what blends in. You're called to be different, to be renewed. You're called to be His people. You're called to be holy as He is holy. Holy. So people see that. So people see the the trials and the challenges and the difficulties you go through and somehow you make it through it better. Somehow you handle it better. Somehow you get through that loss and you're still able to continue on. And you want people to ask, why? How are you able to do that? How are you able to continue on? How are you not just in a pile of goo on the floor devastated right now? (laughs) You want them to ask that question because that's when you say, because of Jesus in my life. Because God is in my life. Because I have a hope, future and a hope. That's why. Because I've chosen a harder path that leads to a better life. We have, we're called to be different. Set apart. And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? Only take care and keep your soul diligently lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life why do we need to keep going back to god's word over and over again why are we told day by day your daily bread why are we why is this repeated over and over again i've learned it i got it i've handled it it's because we are a forgetful people that's not a jab on anybody it's just a realization of the reality that we are We forget. We get into patterns. We get into routines. We get into rhythms. We just go about life. And as we go about life, it's easy to drift a little bit. And that little bit, over a long period of time, gets way over here. And suddenly, we're not anywhere near the path that God had for us originally. And it takes a lot longer to get back, to get out of those rhythms, get out of those ruts, get out of those issues. Which is why he's encouraging us, continue, keep your soul diligently. Remind yourself day by day. And if you need to, moment by moment, in the morning, wake up and say, Lord, what do you have for today? What do you have for this week? What do you have for this month? What do you have for my kid's birthday party? Whatever it might be, continually reminding yourself that God is with you. And he has something to say about your life and how to go through it. And this last line, it says, make them known to your children and your children's children. This is going to continue on. This is going to go farther than us. We need to teach it to others. And there was something else that really jumped out at me, a realization that this is in the book of Deuteronomy. This is Moses' farewell to the people of Israel. A lot has happened Since then, a lot of scripture has been written since then. This isn't all of it. There's more to it. There's a greater picture here of what God wants for his people, for them to know. And so we have to look at the entirety of scripture. We can't focus too much on one and ignore the other. And Peter has something to say about this to us. out of 1 Peter 1, it says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, There was a way you were before. Don't be like that anymore. You know that wasn't good. Don't go back to it. That's kind of the easiest vice that all of us should accept. You knew that was bad. That's why you left. Why are you going back? Well, it's familiar. Okay. So you would rather pain, difficulty, trial just because it's familiar? We have to realize the silliness of this in our lives. Don't. Go back. But as he who called you is holy, you are also to be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. With fear, awe-struck reverence. Do we conduct ourselves? Now, I'm, nothing I'm saying today is trying to be a condemnation. It's sort of more of a "let's think about it," kind of moments. Do we walk through life with awe-struck reverence of God in what we do and how we're going through it and how we're honoring His word? Awe-struck reverence, as it says during the time of our exile. "This time on Earth is your exile. This is not your final destination. This is not your eternal home. There's an old whole eternity. Beyond this, God's saying, "This is going to help you get through this." During this time, are we walking in awe-struck reverence of God and what He has told us to do, or are we walking in, eh, of what God has told us to do? I think a lot of times we do this—that we think God is so wonderful, He is so great, He is so gracious. He's so forgiving. He's so loving. If I screw up, he's just going to forgive me. And we kind of laissez-faire move through life. As opposed to the awe-struck reverence of the Lord. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers I underlined that part when I came by this. Purified your souls by the obedience to the truth. You're washed, clean. Your sin is cleansed by the blood of God. That is different than being purified. You are cleansed of sin, but you are continually being sanctified. It's a big fancy word for being made more and more to the likeness of Christ throughout your entire life. You are being purified of the impurities that are still in you the tendencies of humanity that aren't good they're being purified out of us that's usually done through a crucible now that's kind of a comp sounds like a more complicated word than it is it's usually like a little cup that's ceramic or stone and you put metal in that because when you have metal you want it to be pure you don't want junk metal with all sorts of stuff in it you want pure metal And in order to purify that, you have to heat it to incredible temperatures, enough that the metal melts. And so all the impurities come to the top and they can be scraped off. That's the comparison for us. That's purification. Intense temperatures in your life. Trial, tribulations, pain, difficulties, things that burn you up. And then all those impurities come out and they get scraped off. That is sanctification. It's supposed to remind us, that doesn't sound pleasant. No, it doesn't sound pleasant, which is why you need God. That's the emphasis. You need God. To get through this, you need God. We have to remind ourselves to turn back to God in all of it. That's what he's saying to us. Lean on me. Return to me. Allow me to lead you. For a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. The word of God in its completeness has everything we need, need. It doesn't have everything that's there. It has everything we need, need to live as God desires us. It should teach us throughout all aspects of our life, it should teach us about personal righteousness, that we are declared righteous by the work of Christ, to understand that it's not something that we've gained ourselves, not something we're gonna achieve ourselves. We should understand that that righteousness is attributed to us through the work that he did. We should own, understand, and acknowledge that. And when when we go through our life, There are going to be actions and attitudes, and there's a lot to say about our actions and our attitudes in here. How do you go about living this life and how should you approach it? What should be your mental capacity at that point? When is it okay to be angry with things? When is it okay to be frustrated? When is it okay to be sorrowful? When is it okay? How should I go about it? How should I interact? How should I interact with others? How do I interact with family, with friends, with my spouse, with my children? how do I go about forgiveness? How do I go about forgiving others, forgiving myself? How do I go about learning about divine dependence, not divine independence? That was the problem. People wanted to be independent of God. We need to learn how to be dependent upon Him. And if we want to have divine dependence, we need to learn about what God says about humility and submission, and reliance. And we have to allow God's word to lead us through this. These are the things that God's word should be guiding us through. If you feel like, uh, oh, this is hard, but I agree, just give me an amen. amen. Right. That was the easy part of this sermon. <laughs> I wanted to, we'll start out nice. <laughs> because I'm about to talk about the things that are getting in the way of this. And all the things I'm about to talk about are the result of different conversations I've had probably over the last several years. I'm not trying to pick on any individual person or idea or thought here. I'm trying to pick on everybody right now. So... There we are. Including myself. I am within this. Things that are getting in the way. First and foremost, preferences. And things that are getting in the way of allowing Scripture to lead us. That's the emphasis here. You want Scripture to lead you, not you're not leading Scripture to, I want to be over here. This is where we're going. That's not what we're doing. You ask Scripture where we go. And if it goes opposite of where you want to go, you go with Scripture. That should be the mindset going into it. These things get in the way of that happening. First and foremost, preferences specifically within teachers. It is for most of us not possible to spend the unnecessary amount of time studying God's word to get the entirety of what it says on everything I think we can agree on that there is actually only so much I will be able to convey to you as your weekly teacher on what God's word says I will not be able to cover everything it's not possible for me to do I checked it out once just for me to talk through the entire Bible and just, let's say we went word by word from beginning to end. And I just wanted to say, this is kind of what God's words talking about in general over the entirety of it. It would take 22 years. (laughs) Month or week after week after week after week after week. We just did one chapter at a time. One chapter at a time. 22 years. We're not going to hit it all. But there are going to be things that come up in your life that need to be addressed. And so there are going to have to be other teachers you go to that have spent time studying that. And our preferences for teaching styles will shift how we address Scripture. Because we've got all sorts of different preferences. Some of us really like a line-by-line approach to the Bible. Some of us just want to do a general study of the book. Some of us want something real topical. I want to learn about love right now. I want to learn about children right now. I want to learn about finances right now. Those are the kind of messages I like to receive. Some of us want it to be a really political message. I want you to tell me what the scripture says about the things that I'm angry about right now. <laughs> that one gets the laugh. Yeah. We want different content. Some of us want, let's talk all about, about love or I really need to hear about forgiveness or um, let's talk about the history. Tell, give me the deep details of what's going on. I just want all of the, all of the precious details I just eat it up. Some of us really want applicability Just, I dragged myself here this week, Joe. Tell me how to apply it to my life. Some of us need that. And we're going to actively search through that. Some of us want to hear a lot about prophecy. What's going to happen at the end? Is it now? Is it tomorrow? What's it say? What point are we at? We just eat up prophecy. Some of us want to hear about about wrath. Some of us want to hear a lot about sin or grace, or justice, or just tell me about the gospel. I just want to hear about the gospel and how I tell the gospel and let it all be about the gospel. We preach the gospel here every week, but we preach the entirety of Scripture with it. Some of us want to really focus. I just want to spend all my time in the Old Testament. Some of us really want to just spend all my time in the New Testament. It's a whole Testament. It's a whole Bible. It's got all of these things that we need to know in it, that we have to work through in it. And if we only listen to... A person, or a type of speaker or speakers that just focus in on that one area that we like, we're going to miss the rest of what Scripture has to say. And when we do this, when we really focus in on that, we tend to become a clone of whatever they think because we just, we love them as a speaker and we kind of just repeat everything that they, what they say. And what we have to do at that point is realize that That's okay on the issues that are clear within Scripture. Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior, the only way you go to the Father is through him. That's clear. You can have people tell you that all day long, continuously, over and over and over and over again. No problems there. It's the areas of Scripture that are contested, that are unclear, that are difficult to work through, and people are arguing about. If we only listen to our favorite speaker... We are not getting the fullness of what's going on here. We're just going to be a clone of whatever they say. We have to be able to listen to, well, these people don't agree with them. I wonder why. And it helps us to go and approach them and look at what they're saying. And we can either say, hmm, that's a good point, or wow, they're way out in left field. I was right. (laughs) But you don't get that unless you listen to what they said. You don't get a fullness of the picture. Now, at that point, when you have these two and it's like, wow, well, he's making some good points and he's making some good points, we get a little bit confused. So I would encourage to actually take an opportunity to listen to someone else who might be able to take an opposing view of both of those so that you can start forming an opinion. So you can say, I've heard all of these different ideas. There's some good points on both sides. And then you take it before God and say, Lord, what do you want me to know from this? because there's a lot of arguments that are going on around this, and I want to handle your word well. What do you have to say about this to me? We have to be able to do that. We have to be able to realize that a lot of times our preferences are going to lead us in a particular direction when we want Scripture to lead us in whatever direction it's going. And not to get into divisions and arguments and be at each other's throats over these things because it just doesn't match a preference. Out of Titus 3, 9-11, it says, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped And sinful, he is self-condemned. That should weigh heavy. When we are getting caught up in something, we should check ourselves against this and say, am I doing that? Am I getting caught up in this thing that isn't the main thing here? And the biggest area of that actually ties into our biases, which is what I'm about to talk about. Biases are a little bit different than preferences. Preferences, I really like this style of what they're doing. A bias is something that you already feel strongly about before you've ever approached scripture. It's probably something you grew up with, something you've heard from time to time, something you've already developed an idea for. And you go into scripture assuming that's what scripture's already gonna say. And particularly on these big issues that there's a lot of arguments about, it's because there's different things within Scripture that, are, that can potentially point to the opposite direction. The problem with a bias, if you go in and you say, this one verse, semi out of context, agrees with what I've said. That's all I need. Shh. That's a problem. Because you're not allowing all of Scripture to teach you. I'm about to read off several things here that are major issues. And if, you don't, if you're reading through that and you go, that's not a big issue. Now you know it is. There are a lot of people fighting about these things. Yeah. These aren't things that should be dividing us as a people. First and foremost, the role of men and women. It's always interesting. Just saying that, I've given no context whatsoever. And looking at the different interactions around the room, like a pursing of lips, a kind of a small smile. a What's he going to say? I've given no context here. The role of women men and women in what? Doesn't matter. It talks about it all in here, but you already have a bias. You already have an idea. You've already had something you heard that you latch on to. My question is, is that idea based on a full study of scripture on what God says about men and women? Because it's a pretty big Bible, and it's composed of men, women, animals, angels, and God. So there's a lot to look at when it comes to that topic of men and women. And what are our roles? But what a lot of people want to do is say, hey, this one verse here or this one verse here says everything on this. That is a dangerous spot to be. And I would encourage you, whatever your leaning might be, to delve into the scriptures in their fullness and allow them to guide you. I'm not going to give you a definitive one way or the other on any of this right now. I want you to think about it, and I want you to consider what does Scripture say. We will probably approach these topics from time to time, but I want to make sure as you go through your life and you're interacting with others that you're not saying, hey, if you don't agree with me on this, we can't be friends. Please don't do that on any of these areas that cause such division because it's not clear. I know some of you are like, mmm, it is clear, Joe. <laughs> you would not have had that reaction if it wasn't otherwise. Yeah. <laughs> the next one really shows this for me. What happens after we die when we don't go to heaven? Is it eternal damnation being tortured by demons? Is it being cast into the pit of fire, being burned up and annihilated and you are no more? Is it being thrown out into the gloomy darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth and it's dark and alone for all eternity? Which is it? I can personally give you a strong argument based on scripture for all three of those. They're mutually exclusive. They cannot all happen. Not even two of them can happen at the same time. So how can we say with certainty? How can we argue and find division and have these issues over some things that have not certain outcomes? Do you know what is certain? It's bad. (laughs) Do we want anyone to go there? No. Beyond that, why are we arguing about it? Why are we dividing about it? God said some terrible things are going to happen if you don't accept me. I will let you have that choice. You may choose me, or you can choose the other way. It's going to be bad. Can we not hold on to that and say, hey, can I introduce you to Jesus? Because I haven't died yet, and I'm not quite certain Yet, but I know it's not good. But do you know what I know is good? Jesus. My Lord and Savior is good, and he loves you. He wants you to choose him. Will you choose Jesus today? Let's fight over that. How best do we reach people? We can fight over that. Not too much. We still need to be unity. Why, that should be our focus. Some of us, are a little bit more like John and some of us are a little bit more like John. <laughs> some of us are more like John the Baptizer and some of us are a little bit more like John the Baptist. No, not sorry, John the Apostle. Mix that up. <laughs> some of us have a preference on how we want to approach life and people. And I'm not even going to have to make any comments on this. I'm just going to read some things they said. We'll start with John the Baptist. Baptizer. He wasn't a Baptist. Beginning in Matthew 3, verse 4, John the Baptizer. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust and wild honey. Then Jesus and Jerusalem, not Jesus, Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor and he will gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Some of you are John the Baptist's baptizers. Some of you... It's the wrath of God to come, and people need to know. You read that passage, you get chills. You go, yes. But some of you are like John the Apostle. Out of 1 John 4, beginning of verse 7. But loved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves have been born of God and knows God. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Some of you, that resonates so very deep within your soul. Both of these are men of God. Both of these encountered Jesus in this life. One went before and one held it after. Which one's Right. Both. Both have something that God wants us to know, to understand, to feel, to carry forth, to teach. We can't have one and not the other because that's not looking at Scripture in its fullness. We can't let our preference lead us. We have to have Scripture lead us. 1 Corinthians 4, 1 through 5 says, This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. We have to understand that it said the mysteries of God here. I circled that. I put a box around it. Mysteries, not well-known and easily understandable things that God said. The mysteries of God. It implies that things aren't always clear. That there were things for many years were unknown. And there are things that are still not fully known. The mysteries of God. Moreover, it required of stewards that they should be found faithful. But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself for I'm not aware of anything against me. But I am not thereby acquitted. Circled that part too. This is Paul. This is Paul the Apostle. He knew his stuff. He knew what was going on. He wrote half of, not most of the New Testament. I don't have the percentage. A lot of it. (laughs) His teachings are sound, rooted in Scripture. And he reflects on his own life and says, I don't think I've done anything wrong. But that doesn't acquit me. I might be wrong in some things that I've done. Do we go through life with that mentality? You know, I'm fairly sure. I'm pretty, like 99%. But I could be wrong. Can we accept that we, as human beings, might not have complete and utter understanding of everything in this life? And of everything out of God's scripture? Paul felt this way, you know? I felt I've done pretty good. And I don't care what any of you say. But you know, that doesn't acquit me. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time. Allow God to do the judging. Before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart? Then each one will receive his commendation from God. I want to honor your time and I've taken a lot of time on this. I'm going to jump to the end real quick here. and The last thing that's getting in the way and this isn't, again, this isn't a condemnation, it's a realization of something we have to own in life. How often... Do we go through life approaching the Holy Spirit first? As opposed to when something didn't go right, didn't go the way we expected. Everything has blown up and I now need it fixed. Lord, help me. How often it is, wow, I did not expect that to happen. What happened, God? You didn't listen to me first. How often does that happen? that we actually go to God first. I've got this thing coming up. What do you have to say on that, Lord? How often is that the case? Because we have the ability in every moment and everything to speak to him. Of John 14, 15 through 17, it says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever even the spirit of truth whom the word cannot receive because it is neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. This has been an invitation since the moment you accepted Christ to rely upon him for everything in your life. And you have the ability to. And how much better if we regularly made a habit of that, simply relying on the spirit of God to guide us, to lead us, to point us to the way he wants us to go. Matthew seven twenty four through 25. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Amen.